Cloudcast Media presents, from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina, this is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delt and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome to another episode of the Cloudcast. We're coming to you live from the OpenStack Summit. Um, it's early in the morning. My guest and I, we're, we're both a little froggy <laughs> at this point. Um, wanted to introduce, uh, back actually, first time to the show, but your company has been here actually very recently, but, but Brian Redbeard from CoreOS, Principal Architect. How you doing, dude? I'm doing pretty well this morning. Good, good. good. And, you, you know, honestly, it's one of those, this is slightly out of style for us. If we usually will, you know, have somebody on... And then they kind of go in timeout for like six months or so of like, we don't tend to have the same companies or the same, same guests on too often because it's a little bit of like, well, it's changed. You know, there's really nothing new to talk about. We kind of wait for some, some advancements, but it was funny right after we had Alex on like CoreOS Fest happened and all these crazy kind of things happen. And we're like, you know what? we need to talk to you again. <laughs> so we're going to get into that in a second. But but before we do, um, so besides like the most interesting beard in cloud, without a doubt, dude, um, give us some background of what where you've been, what you've been doing, and kind of what brought you to CoreOS. So I'm definitely a systems administrator by trade. I uh, spent a lot of time in operations and actually keeping the internet running uh, for ISPs and web hosting companies and then at a bunch of private entities as well. From there, I kind of moved into doing consulting and did a lot of public sector work and, you know, directly uh, – Prior to CoreOS, I was at Red Hat for many years on the on the consulting team over there, and then kind of left to become the first customer facing person at CoreOS and really early member of the team. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. So uh, we'll get all to in all that in a second, but yeah. So you know, what was it like early days when 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 you are yeah you know they kind of come in and go yeah we don't really have you you go create everything when it comes to something like that like how do you go do all that and is a lot of nights and weekends and it, it's been interesting because like going from like seeing the garage that it actually started in to the like a uh, san francisco apartment that the office was run out of into like our, our big kids office now it's it's been a fascinating journey to actually see that evolvement or see that that process evolve as it were and uh it it's a trope, but it's a true trope at that point. You know, there's obviously a reason why that exists, and it's it's great just knowing that we have the the heritage around that that uh, kind of follows the same path as a lot of other uh, similar companies. Yeah, yeah, and you know, it's been it's been cool to to follow it, y'all, because um, so I just I just looked it up, but so the first time we ever talked to CoreOS was. Um, uh, Cloudcast number 107, which was uh, September of 2013 at, at LinuxCon. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I I swear it was, like, right after y'all announced kind of thing. Like, it was The pretty, timing pretty sounds close. pretty right on that, yeah. Um, and it was, yeah, it was really interesting because, you know, you go back a couple years ago and it was like, you want to do what? Like, a, another OS for what? <laughs> yeah. And it's been awesome to see everything you guys have done and all the problems you've kind of solved. And it was, you, you know, your, your company very much, you know, to give you credit, very much has find a problem, fix a problem. Yeah. And, you yeah. know, these things keep popping up of like, as we're kind of moving forward into this cloud native apps, microservices, whatever you want to call it, 
you, you guys very much have gone, you know, I, this is a problem. I'm going to go fix it. Yeah, and that's the, been the actual kind of core design philosophy of a lot of our tools up to this point. You know, we said, you know, well, how could things be – like the, the biggest problem on the internet is pushing updates to servers. How do you make that more efficient? And then, okay, now that we've kind of figured that out at the base operating system level, how do you make applications highly available? And, you know, the kind of – state of the art in the community was Mesos at that point. And we said, well, Mesos is great, but what if you don't need as much of Mesos? Yep. Like, What if you just need a little bit to kind of distribute that across five machines rather than getting to the point of 500? Um, and that was where we kind of came up with the idea for Fleet. Now, the, the, the core tenet there, the, the takeaway is that we've been – we want to get everyone to the, the size of being – of having Google's infrastructure. We want everyone to be able to have you know the 100,000 machines running their own hardware or running their own software. But there's also stepping stones that need to happen, and, and that's kind of what we've been doing. We've been chopping wood and cutting <laughs> – chopping wood and carrying water to yes. get, a, get everybody to the point where they can easily deploy applications that you know they've kind of designed to be like you said cloud native kind of microservice architecture yep yep and so i just wanted to get your thoughts before we move on real quickly too of okay just talking about that of if if we say you were you know one of the first if not the first minimal os to kind of start a wave um Everyone has a minimal OS now. Exactly. It's, <laughs> What's it, it like to be to feel like going? Yeah, no, we started that. Um. <laughs> it, one, it feels great. Two, it, it definitely shows that uh, you're you're pissing the right people off. So, right. Um, you know, having the having that in place has meant that you know we've been able to play with a lot of interesting ideas. Like, what happens? How do you like imagine if the process of resetting a server, like re-imaging it was just doing rm-rf slash and watching the thing lose its state but come back online. And and having being able to play some, some games with that has been a, f- a fun mind exercise. But I think it's also interesting because you see these other minimal OSs and they look at what we're doing and they think, oh, the minimal OS is the important part. That's what people care about. And it's important to us but it's not the most impressive thing to us. Yep. So it, it just shows that like what we think is important and impressive is always a little bit out of step. Yep. And I think that it, it works well with our entire philosophy. And the folks who want to deviate a little bit from the defined path that everyone else is uh, kind of going down, they can look to us to be leaders on that. So. Yeah, no, it makes, it makes absolutely perfect sense. So... Let's talk about CarOS Fest for for a little bit. Um, give us a kind of a quick recap and, and some of the highlights, and then we'll kind of dig in a little bit. Well, the most exciting things for me at CoreOS Fest was seeing some of the stuff that Intel announced about making etcd faster. Uh, it was just hands down seeing the work that they did on the Go compiler, as well as some of the changes that they were making to the silicon that we are going to be able to leverage is awesome like tenfold increase to start shooting for another tenfold increase on top of that so you know you're just watching it go like one order of magnitude into another order of magnitude better uh, to be able to really 
eke every bit of juice that you can out of etcd uh, also some of the folks uh from giant or timo from giant swarm like gave a really great presentation on like what his development workflow looks like uh, having the folks over at data.com uh sit down and like i, I talked to prakash uh data.com is a portion of salesforce um just on like how they use core os was really really great uh and and having all of our other partners who kind of came in the the folks at Redapt and uh, the presentation uh, the the AppC panel seeing uh, Red Hat and uh, Charles uh, kind of come in and sit down and talk through the ideas with AppC and from there being able to think about where we're going to take Rocket as an implementation is. It was all great just having the conversations with our community and having them in the open where everybody gets to kind of sit and participate. Yeah, no, absolutely. Now, <clears throat> let's dig a little bit into Tectonic. Okay. Um, so a- as I kind of get it is, yeah, it's 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 yourself. It's Redapt. It's mm-hmm. it's Intel, correct? That is correct. And am I missing anybody? Uh, Supermicro. Supermicro. <clears throat> Excuse me. And at the end of the day, this is uh, – there's, you know, the way I look at it is it's a commercial Kubernetes platform. That's exactly what it is. And, and so when I say that, what does that mean? Like, <laughs> what is inside it and, and what is the big problem it's trying to solve of, you know, or were you getting feedback that if we just had this thing, it would solve all my problems, right? Yeah. So, well, Kubernetes itself is an awesome piece of software. It's kind of created at Google, and it's modeled after uh, their internal tools, Omega and Borg, which are their kind of deployment mechanisms. Google has a really long history with running containers, and there's a lot of operational uh, patterns and anti-patterns that can be kind of taken away from their uh, uh, deployment process. So they wanted to share that, and you know, because of... Uh, our uh, collaboration on things like etcd you know it it just felt like a natural fit for us to work with them on kubernetes uh the so the goal of kubernetes and what uh, tectonic is is an implementation of commercial kubernetes is giving you the orchestration to deploy workloads inside your your company um, Google has really made Kubernetes work as a first-class citizen atop uh, Google Compute Engine. But for us, uh, that really is just a narrow slice of, of the market. We want to be able to see folks run Kubernetes consistently between OpenStack and AWS and bare metal. And that's where Redapt and Supermicro and Intel are coming together with us, is being able to help the behind-the-firewall customer by uh, working on uh, some pretty standard architectures so that you know you know that you can just say, hey, I want to go ahead and give this a shot. I can bring it into my company, and here's uh, some proven, tested uh, entities that are working together to make that happen. Yep, makes sense. Makes sense. That's awesome. So <clears throat> kind of move on to another kind of announcement that I don't feel like got nearly as much press mm-hmm. and is certainly I don't it didn't seem to be as much talked about but I, I kind of thought it was a pretty cool little side thing of because I always you know I'm an old operations guy too and and yeah I always look at everything more of like you know what problem does that solve post day one 
Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's a, there's the the day you know up to day one problems of getting mm-hmm. just getting something up, standing up and running. Right. Then that's typically the de- developer's purview. Right. And I always look at it more of a I have okay, to maintain this. Right. Now, what do I do with yeah. it? Right. Um, once you you know get get it kind of taking it over thing. That's I'm always looking at it that way. And so this was fascinating to me. This this application container specification AppC. Yes. Um, and you know, first of all. Uh, you know, kind of my standard question of of why and and you know why do that, but also like, do you see multiple container specs going forward? Um, and does that help? Does that hurt? Does it fragment? Does it you know drive competition to make things better? Like, tell me a little bit of your thoughts around that too. Well, for us, we we realize that uh, in the same way that. Like HTTP as a protocol meant that you're going to have different implementations. You're going to have the Firefox and the Chrome and the Internet Explorer. We thought that when it comes to the container execution engine, you should definitely have choice. And in fact, we already had choice. Like the folks over at OpenBZ uh, really pioneered uh, a lot of that work inside the Linux space. Then the folks over at LXC kind of continued on. And, uh, you know, so knowing that there were already choices around container execution engines. Um, we wanted to see a specification so that all of these different engines could kind of unify on a single container uh, actual implementation when it when it came to uh, the payload that you're running. So we kind of went to the major vendors uh, working in that space, and we said, hey, how about we start collaborating on this? How about we actually do something? And... You know, uh, the initial kind of uptake was not quite what we had hoped for. Um, we didn't have all the folks involved that we wanted to, but we still knew that it was the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. So we started going down that path. And because we were creating the spec really by ourselves at the start, nobody's going to pay attention to the specification unless you have an implementation. And that's what Rocket was. It was just originally a reference implementation against the spec that we were trying to write. Sure. Now, to speak to the idea of multiple specifications, um, I, I think that just naturally you're going to see a reconvergence there. Um, the even if there's two specifications that are clo- track, tracking each other closely, mm-hmm. you know where there's nothing official, but there's a, a strong likelihood that an image built on one will be able to be used on another. Uh, I, I think that you're going to see the the trend of converging on that, but you know time will tell. Yeah, no, that that makes perfect sense. Um, so you're you're a systems person. We've already talked about that a little bit. So you know, we're always looking to connect the dots here. Mm-hmm. Um, help us connect the dots from from within the CoreOS stack itself. Um, from the way I kind of see it, is you've got this this OS to container spec rocket, mm-hmm. then a discovery, mm-hmm. you know, then networking with flannel. Mm-hmm. Um, and then schedulers, you know, Kubernetes in this yep. instance. Is that uh, missing any pieces? It, it, it's funny enough. It is actually missing one piece. Okay. And it, I'm really, I feel really uh, fortunate that uh, I can talk about uh, some work of a colleague of mine, uh, Matthew Garrett. Uh, Matthew's a kernel developer, like really tightly involved with the open source community. And he's also really involved with the security community as well. And he's done a lot of work uh both like previously at Red Hat and then at Nebula and now with us on Secure Boot and UEFI. So it starts even lower of having being knowing that you can trust your hardware and then 
kind of building that chain of trust up into uh, the so going through secure boot, be, then verifying your boot block, then getting in and verifying your operating system, verifying your network, verifying your containers, and being able to have a chain of trust all the way up. So you know, once you've got that up, once you've got your your bootloader in pl- or your uh, secure boot in place, and you bring your bootloader online, that's where CoreOS comes in with the with the read-only operating system and with the operating system that's going to process its updates, you know, kind of atomically and uh, always going fast forward in time. Yep. Um, from there, because it's a read-only operating system, it means that you're going to have to run things inside of containers. And that's where Rocket comes in. You know, it gives you the, the ability as well as systemdn spawn to be able to run containers atop that. Um, once you have your containers in place, uh, you generally, uh, especially if you don't control 100% of the infrastructure, if you don't control the switches and the routers themselves, it can become necessary to have an overlay network. And that's where Flannel comes in. Gotcha. So, okay. Okay. Flannel then kind of provides this overlay network so that every all of the hosts in the cluster appear to be on a flat uh, kind of IP range. Um, and then to store and synchronize that information, that's where etcd comes in. Because etcd, when you write a key or a value to it, it immediately becomes available throughout the rest of the cluster. Um, so it's really useful for storing small bits of information. I mean, the original idea at, from etcd was that it was etsy distributed across your cluster. Uh, but it's also really, really useful for locking and, and network-based semaphores across applications. So now that you've got this stack where you've got an OS that can just kind of reboot and process its own updates. You've got a uh, uh, overlay network where containers can cleanly talk to each other regardless of which host they're on and uh, a mechanism for storing data that is available over the network and uh, can easily bring uh, those uh, bits of information into the containers. Uh, you need something to actually coordinate the orchestration of where which containers go where, what happens if uh, an entire host goes down for a hardware failure. So that's where Kubernetes actually handles the orchestration of moving containers from one host to another, uh, reaping them when they no longer need to be online, and also giving you a set of APIs to actually control that. That makes sense. That's awesome. Thank you very much. So <clears throat> another final question, since you do tend to be kind of the, the field-facing aspect and talking to a lot of customers and really working with the systems out there, what are some of the most common kind of application use cases like where are you seeing adoption right now and where are people kind of going yep i need that Mm -hmm. right so it's definitely uh new workloads at the moment um just because of the the nature of the development you know there's not a lot of pieces in off-the-shelf open source that are ready to run atop this type of workload today now some things like redis they work really well they're easily deployable throughout the entire cluster. But, you know, PHP applications and uh, relational databases that really tightly tie files to disk, it's more of a challenge to get them running. It's not to say that you can't do it, but um, where we're really seeing uh, the the best development come online is in dynamic uh, applications. You know, a lot of applications written in Go Mm -hmm. operate as first-class citizens. You know, we do a lot of development in Golang at CoreOS. And the, uh, like, especially jobs where hosts can quickly come online, uh, 
process a bit of work and then go back offline, a lot of Storm and Kafka type work, uh, are really the sweet spots for container workloads today. And we expect that to uh, expand over time. But uh, today, you know, it's like when the, the iPhone first came out you know there there's not much in the there's not much in the app store <laughs> sure. and you're probably going to be writing it yourself but there's just a natural evolution over time that more workloads will be specifically designed for that and will be pushed upstream for the community now it makes sense so all right uh last question um so beard tips yes for everybody yes so what, what's uh, what, what do you do, man? Well, first off, <laughs> don't use cheap shampoo. That's, there you that's, go. That's the, bi- that's the big one. You do that, you can stay long and strong, and everything will uh, work out to op- uh, optimally for you. Uh, I've been in a lot of beard competitions all over the world. The, kind of the 2009 or 2008 World Beard Mustache Championship. The, nice. Yeah, kind nice. of been to Alaska and Norway and all over the place. So, you know, really just... Uh, channel the thoughts of uh, Alan Cox and John Mad Dog Hall and you'll be able to have a, a true Unix beard. Nice. That's awesome. All right. So we are out of time for this week. So Brian, where can everyone find out more about you or CoreOS and what you got going on? So uh, CoreOS.com, always the best spot. Uh, we have a really active IRC channel on Freenode. It's Pound CoreOS. Um, uh, the Twitter account, at uh, CoreOS Linux. Uh, and if you want to follow the uh, crazy things that I tend to admit that's uh, at Brian Redbeard. Um, but uh, all of the above are great spots to hear about CoreOS and kind of track what we're doing. Awesome. All right. Thank you very much. So you can follow us on Twitter at the CloudcastNet, or you can reach us on the web at thecloudcast.net, where you can find links to everything related to the show. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll talk to you soon.